Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. Reading from the ESV version, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And then chapter 4, verse 22, a sub, a postscript to what's happened here. It says, For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And uh, let me just read this. Uh, here's a quote by C.T. Studd. He was a famous missionary to China. And um, he said these words, Christ's call is not to call the scoffers, but sinners to repentance, not to build and furnish comfortable chapels, churches and cathedrals at home in which to rock Christian professors to sleep by means of clever essays, stereotyped prayers and artistic musical performances, but to raise living churches of souls to capture men from the devil's clutches and snatch them from the very jaws of hell, to enlist and train them for Jesus, and make them into an almighty army of God. But this can only be accomplished by a red-hot, unconventional, Holy Ghost religion, where neither church nor state, neither man nor traditions are worshipped or preached, but only Christ and Christ crucified." When in hand-to-hand conflict with the world and the devil, neat little biblical confectionery is like shooting lions with a pea shooter. Nothing but forked lightning Christians will count. A lost reputation is the best degree for Christ's service. C.T. Studd. What a statement. (laughs) Nothing but forked lightning Christians will count. Oh, that the Lord would, would set our hearts on fire. We need, we need a wake-up call. I need a wake-up call. We just need to be taken by the shoulders. Wake up! Wake up! We stand at the end of the ages. And we look at everything that is happening in our world today. In the political climate, coronavirus, just everything that's happening. The riots. We stand at the end of the ages. And some of us, we just need a wake-up call. 
I'm just preaching to myself this morning. I need a wake-up call. And in this story, Acts chapter 3 that I just read right there, this guy gets a wake-up call. And I love the postscript. I love that verse. As you skip ahead to chapter 4, verse 22, I read it there at the end. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. I love it. I'm 44. This verse is for me. I told Amy the other day when I, I, I just, I like, I've read this a million times, but I just, for the first time, just kind of sank in. Miracles over 40. That, that happens rarely. Like a miracle in a 40-year-old or older than that. I'm just, so if you're, if you're younger than 40, you can just like sleep this morning. But if you're older than 40, this is for you. If you're getting close to 40, if you're like 38, 39, you can listen to. But uh, man, miracles over 40. Just It is so easy to just kind of get lulled to sleep, especially as I was talking about on Wednesday in this Disneyland in which we live. It, it will take a massive work of the Holy Spirit to, to get you out of the vice grip of this culture in which so many of us, are, if we just become like the frozen chosen and hear miracles after 40, there's, you know, a certain exhilaration when you begin a journey, right? And then the thrill of arrival when you get there, maybe a marathon at the beginning, the thrill of, man, I'm running a marathon. This is, this is awesome. But that middle mile, that middle mile is just, that's what tests the traveler. That middle mile, several times hiking through the jungle, and some of you came on that epic jungle trips many years ago, and um, we, didn't, we didn't do any long hikes, but uh, um, uh, sometimes there are certain, certain of my villages, of our villages that we'll go to, and it's, a, it's about a 50-kilometer trek in and 50 kilometers back. But uh, that morning, when you're going you're gonna to try to pound out 50 kilometers, and you get up, you start at like 5 in the morning, you've got this heavy 50-pound backpack on, and you begin the journey, and it is exciting the first couple hours there, 5, 6 o'clock in the morning, 7 o'clock in the morning, you're just you're going through the jungle, and you're crossing rivers, and you are slogging mud, and this is awesome. This is so exciting, and we're looking for monkeys, we're looking for wild boars, and, and as you're going along, and pretty soon, you just get to the midday. Three o'clock in the afternoon, and you still got to pound out 15 more kilometers. And you just begin to break down. Going back to the, the text here, in, in, in verse 1, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Some of your versions say three o'clock in the afternoon. The Jewish day starts apparently at, at daybreak, so that's six in the morning. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, one, two, three. Nine hours. The ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon. And this is the hour of prayer. Right in the heat of the day, probably the, the toughest hour of the afternoon. This is the hour of prayer for the Jews. And here Peter and John, they go up to pray. I am so convicted in my own life how I neglect prayer. 
to my great embarrassment, it's a weak spot. I just, I need to pray more. And I'm, I'm willing to venture that's probably a difficulty for many of you. We, we just don't pray very much. And I think it says a lot about our spiritual maturity. It's the hour of prayer. It, here at this time in history in which we live, more than ever, we should say, this is the hour of prayer. On Wednesday night, I was, I was talking about the, the last watch or the fourth watch of the night. And we stand at the, at the very edge of eternity. Pivotal time in history right now in which we live. Maybe this being the last generation before the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And we just, we need a major wake up call. It's the hour of prayer. And here Peter and John, I love it, it says they go up together to the hour of prayer. Oh, you need to just grab a brother. Let's go pray. Go, go get a John. Go get your Peter. Go get somebody. We just, I need to pray. It's the hour of prayer. Here at the end of the ages, grab a brother, grab a sister. Let's go and pray. You know, last year, I got together with 12 other brothers. And uh, all of us lived in different places. We flew to San Francisco. We rented this Airbnb, a house. We just rented it for a whole week. And there's nothing on the agenda except we're just going to pray. Just like blocked out. And, and several of these guys, engineers, doctors that left super busy schedules, they, they just quit everything a week just to like get on our knees and pray all day long. I mean, we, we just slept for a few hours at night, got up early in the morning on our knees, praying together, praying for revival in our nation. Oh, we need it. The hour of prayer. Peter and John, they go up to pray. Let me read this. This is a, this is a, a quote. I don't even, I don't know who said this. Uh, it, it's not my words. I'm not so poetic. But listen to this. Pray, brethren, pray. The sands are falling. God's voice is calling. Pray, brethren, pray. Yon, yon turret strikes the dying chime. We kneel upon the verge of time. Pray, brethren, pray. The skies are rending. The fight is ending. Pray, brethren, pray. Behold, the glory draweth near. The King Himself will soon appear. Pray, brethren, pray. Eternity is drawing nigh and our God is enthroned on high. Pray, brethren, pray. It's the, it's the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. The, the afternoon, three o'clock, the difficult hour, we're just, man, slowing down. Once again, aside from a massive work of God, it's going to be almost impossible to break us free from the clutches of this Disneyland, this, this, this culture in which we, we live. And now look at also in verse, verse 2. It talks about this man, this lame man, and it says that they had carried him there. I love this. And, and the picture it presents, they carried this, this lame man. He's over 40. So possibly, this guy's been carried to the gate, to the temple there, every day of his life, year after year, month after month, day after day. He's being carried there. But think of this. Someone carried him there. Okay, now I said that the, the, anybody under 40 didn't have to listen really, but now those that are under 40, you can 
You can listen. They're mostly over here. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home and your parents have, have continually, week after week, they have carried you to church. They've brought you as far as they can towards a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Or someone in your life has constantly been talking to you and putting into your life, pouring into you. They've brought you as far as they can, talking to you about what the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished in His death, burial, and resurrection, and the new life that we can have in Him, meaning and purpose. All of a sudden, you can have it in Christ, in Christ alone. Not in religion. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about getting in, going into the church. No, I'm talking about going into a, a relationship with the living God. And your parents, some of you have, have brought you your whole lifetime, and they've, they've brought you to the gate, so to speak. Or maybe some of you are, are on a search for truth, and that search for truth has brought you, brought you to the gate. It's brought you so far. Or maybe your mama's prayers have brought you to the gate, and they can only take you so far. You've got to go inside the gate. What I want to emphasize, I'm going to say this several times this morning, don't stop at the gate. I think that's a huge lesson that comes out of the story. Don't stop at the gate. Go in. Go in to a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Another thing that I want to point out here is the guy's lame. He's crippled. What a picture of spiritual truth right there. You're the lame man. You're the crippled man. He, the guy's lame. He, he just calls him the lame man in the text right here as, as Luke is writing this. He calls him the lame man. He doesn't give him a name. Peter and John are named, but the lame man doesn't give him a name. It, it doesn't say J Billy or, or Benoit or Micah. Put your name in there. That's why I think that it doesn't, it doesn't give the name because you're supposed to put your name in there. You're the lame man. You're the cripple. And, and think about this. Just the idea of paralysis. He's lame. He's paralyzed. Think about your state, your condition, spiritually speaking. And once again, I don't care if you're, if you're a regular churchgoer, you've never been to church before. Let's just talk. And I don't care about how good of a church attender you are. Your spiritual state, how you are before the living God. You're paralyzed. You're a cripple. The, a par paralyzed, a paralysis. You, you've lost all sense of feeling, spiritually speaking. I mean, that can happen really easy in the church. And once again, speaking to 40 and older, it just like, it seems like, you remember those first days when you came to know the Lord, those first years, even, man, everything was just fire and zeal and going for it. And somehow, some, some way, even in full-time ministry, as we are in and have the privilege to just, I, I mean, my life is Bible. My life is preaching. My life is trying to take the love of Christ to the world around me. But it's so easy just to get into like going through the motions. Mundane, ho-hum Christianity. I don't want that. 
Oh, you've got to break out of it. But for some reason, you've fallen into this, this paralysis, a lack of feeling. You've lost your first love. Once again, it's like, it's like we've become frozen. I'm going through that book, Through the Gates of Splendor, once again, about Jim Elliott and those five missionary martyrs in Ecuador. And one of the lines in there, Jim is talking about, man, I just need to go read my Bible, get some defrosting. I need to just defrost. Man, I can, I can relate to that. Oh, but listen, you're at the gate. You're in the right place, almost the right place. You're suffering paralysis, the loss of feeling, spiritually speaking. You just don't feel anything. You read the Bible, it's just like, man, it's boring. Something's wrong. You've got to go inside the gate. Don't stop at the gate. Another thing that I want to point out here is, it says in verse 2 that this gate is called beautiful. But if you think about it, maybe I'm wrong. This is just my thought on it, but this gate doesn't seem very beautiful to me. I mean, I can't see it, but in my mind's eye, I'm picturing you've got all these lame people. I'm sure he's not the only guy. You've got all these, these lame guys, all these cripples, and they're all laying there. Alms for the poor. Alms for the poor. And all these religious people, possibly with lots of money, just kind of stepping over the lame people to get into the temple. To play religion. And they're just kind of stepping... It's, a, it's not a beautiful picture. It's not a beautiful gate. This is ugly. This is what I'm imagining anyways. The gate is called beautiful. You know, have you ever been to a town that was, you think, this is a misnamed town. Like Pleasantville. And really, it's like hell on earth. There's this, there's this town in Peru. The name of this town is Ciudad de Dios. The city of God. And it is not the city of God. Every time I've gone there, there's been some demon-possessed person that's like gone after me. One time I was preaching there, a demon-possessed person come, came through the, the doors and came up. And like in the middle of the message was, was like voice transformation and everything came right up in the pulpit next to me. It was, it was a, that's a different story. I'm sorry. But I uh, just want to say, Ciudad de Dios was the name of this place. It was more like the city of demons. This place right here, the gate called Beautiful. You know, you don't have to stop at a place that's just called beautiful. You can go into a place that is beautiful. Into that relationship, a real and intimate relationship with the living God. Oh, don't stop at the gate. The next thing here that I want to point out, as you skip down to verses 3 through 6, Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do give to you, I give to you in the name of Jesus, or I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. That, that, that famous, and you've probably all sung that song, Silver and Gold, Have I None? And that comes to mind. I mean, this, this famous story right here. But silver and gold have I none. It's almost like Peter, he makes it really clear to this beggar. He's like, listen, you're really close to the right place. 
But you're looking for the wrong thing. Stop looking for money. You need to look for Jesus. Stop. You're looking for money and you should be looking for Jesus. You know, there's a story, I guess, in church history. I guess it's a true story about the Pope and uh, Thomas Aquinas. And I guess the Pope is counting his money. And Thomas Aquinas comes in as, as the Pope is, is counting his money. And uh, the Pope says to, to Aquinas, he says, uh, Well, uh, we no longer can say silver and gold have I none. And then Aquinas answers, And neither can we say rise up and walk. You know, oftentimes when we become prosperous, we become powerless. And I'm not just talking about like miracles to raise the dead or anything like that. Just like in my own life, where's the power of God to like help me in my fight against temptation? Where's the power of God to loose me from the vice grips of this culture in which I live? Oh, you think you need money. But you don't. You need Jesus. Don't stop at the gate. Don't stop at the gate. And I don't. If you have money, I don't care that. Or if you don't have money, I don't care that. From either side, money can become a focus rather than Jesus. And it seems almost like this guy he's sitting at the gate. He's paralyzed. Just every day, he's just used to going through alms for the poor. Alms. He's looking for the wrong thing. And then. This day ends up being the greatest day in this guy's life. I love this. In verse 8, there, and leaping up, he stood and he began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. He went in. It says he enters in, in with Peter and John into the temple. He got in. He started this day just probably like every other day of his life so far. Every other day, somebody carried him to the temple. He probably sat down anticipating he was going to receive a few coins that morning. And then he gets something totally different. Peter and John show up and so does the power of God. And this guy experiences the life transformation that only Jesus can bring experiences the life transformation that only Jesus can bring. And then that verse 8, he leaps up, he stood, he begins to walk. This guy is over 40. He's paralyzed. All sense of spiritual feeling has been gone. And now, all of a sudden, leaping. Joy. Oh, I want joy. Exultation. Thrill. I've never experienced this. A real, new, brand new life for this guy. New life in Christ. I want this. And he enters into the temple. Finally, 40 years. I don't know if he's been here since he's a child, but finally, he goes in. Oh, don't stop at the gate. Some of you have been sitting at the gate your entire life. It's time to get up and go inside the gate. A real relationship with the living God. I'm not talking religiosity. I'm talking a real relationship with the living God right here. 
And he goes walking and leaping and praising God. Oh, ending here. You need a miracle. We need a miracle in our churches. You've been going through the motions of a cold, mundane, lifeless Christianity. The first 20 years, maybe you can remember, full of zeal and fire. But what's the Lord doing in your life today? Will you go up, get out of this dryness, go inside the gate? Oh, to see revival in that, that video at the end. It just, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm just praying for revival. That the Lord would do something great in our day and age. You know, when, when concrete is, is freshly poured, even a mouse walking across it leaves an, an imprint that stays forever. But after that concrete is hardened and cured, an elephant can walk across that thing and you can't even tell the elephant was there. Oh, that we would let the Lord have an imprint on our life and be softened to His Word and His call. Let me just and and I guess the second time I'm ending. Um, I want to say this: in the beginning, there was light and life and love, and everything that we see in this world was created to reflect light and life and love. But as you look around in the world in which we live, you don't see very much light and life and love anymore. You kind of see the opposite of those three things. I mean, where do you go when you reject light? Where do you go but to darkness? When you reject love, where do you go but to disconnection? When you reject life, where do you go but to death? And and that's what our world has done. That's what some of you have done as you're listening and you realize that's me. But... What does God do who is light and life and love? And He sees all the death and disconnection and darkness here on earth. Jesus, who is light and life and love, comes and lives in our death and disconnection and darkness. And He actually says, your disconnection will be my disconnection. Your darkness will be my darkness. Even your death will be my death. And he takes that darkness and death and disconnection, takes it to the grave, plunges it into the grave, and three days later rises again in light and life and love. And he says, you in darkness, come to my light. You in disconnection, come to my love. You in death, come to my life. Oh, what will you do with Jesus? Stop being content to just sit at the gate. Don't stay at the gate. The Lord is inviting you in. And oh, the the jubilation that you see in this guy as he enters in. Joy, euphoria, thrill, bliss, jubilance. The guy, he's walking and leaping and praising God. We need a revival. We we need it in in the solid block of old people. Really. 
I mean, man, I, I am, I'm preaching to young people in camps, in, in young people's conferences across the world. Different, I, want, I mean, young people, the, the next generation needs that torch to be handed to them. Something is happening. Our young people are just disappearing from churches. I don't know if we're not handing the baton well, but really, actually, I think we just, the old people need a revival. Miracles over 40. I love it. God can do miracles in people even over 40, even in old people. They're totally stuck in their old ways. You are like cured, rock hard, solid concrete. But the Lord, He transforms that concrete and He makes it soft again. Through the power of His Word, the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that the Lord would wake us up. Once, I'm, I'm going to read that, that statement that I started with in the beginning. If I can find it. No, you know what? I'll read this one. This is a different one. This is about the men who were awakened and, and the Lord just transformed their lives, all, all of a sudden filling the lives with meaning and purpose during the Welsh revival that I, I think took place during the, the 1800s. But it says this, the, these men, as the Lord got a hold of these older men and, and just awakened them greatly, and they went forth with God's word, it says, they were lions in the pulpit and on the street corner. And all of them were mighty men of prayer. They preached with passion and great emotion. They were possessed by the Holy Spirit. And after spending long times in prayer and meditation on God's Word, after digging the well deeply, as they trusted the Holy Spirit for divine eloquence, they opened their mouths and torrents of God-exalting, man-debasing, Christ-honoring gospel truth poured forth, washing over their auditors, melting many of them on the spot and causing them to cry out, What must I do to be saved? Oh, that the Lord would raise up a generation of men and women like that. That He just set our hearts on fire. Don't stop at the gate. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for what You're doing in our day and age. In this valley in which we live. These dark times. Oh Lord. We pray that by the power of Your Holy Spirit, You would enable us to show the love of Christ to a hurting world all around us that is filled with darkness and death and disconnection. Oh Lord, we pray that You would wake us up, especially us, the older group, 40 and over. Oh, Lord. Put a burning desire in our hearts to go within the gate. No longer content to go through the, the motions of a mundane Christian life. Lord, we're praying for revival. Revival, it's got to start in our own lives. It's got to start in our own families. Help us to go back to the book. Back to Your Word. Back to the ninth hour. The hour of prayer. And we pray that You would do great things in our country, in our churches, in our families, in our own hearts as individuals. We put our lives into Your hands. In Jesus' name, Amen.